You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. Today, we have Angela Hosking from HerOneTribe.com. Angela, thanks so much for being here with us today. I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, so why don't you start off just telling us about your background as a nurse, what kind of nurse um, you were or are, and, and we'll go from there. Okay, great. Well, I became a second career nurse. Um, my first degree was in English and I wanted to be a writer. And funny how that happens when you graduate from college with a dream <laughs> and kind of go, well, that's not going to work. Um, so it was actually my husband. Um, we had gotten married and had a couple of little kids and I was very interested in all things medicine and reading about them and um, sort of became the neighborhood mom with the knowledge of book knowledge of kids ailments. And my husband was the one that said, do you want to go back to school in the nursing? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. Um, so I started on that journey in my late twenties. Um, you know, having had a BA in English, I had to go back and take all the wonderful sciences and found out that I loved science, didn't realize um, I had missed that. And so started my nursing career in my early thirties um, in oncology. So I had a, an amazing time as a bedside nurse, taking care of what I consider the um, most wonderful patient population on the planet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How long did you stay in, in oncology? Um, I, I was in the bedside role for close to about eight or nine years. I had a couple of wonderful female mentors who kept tapping me on the shoulder to go up the leadership track. Um, and I found myself in a, quite a few uh, informal leadership positions in my unit and within the hospital. And so I uh, uh, begrudgingly, I say, went into leadership, but found that <clears throat> that really had more of an overall impact with the number of patients that I could help impact by growing and developing um, a team that was engaged and supportive and had a healthy work environment. And so I did that uh, inside in inpatient nurse manager for about five years for a 36 bed oncology unit, about 100 employees. And that's where my book came from. So funny how it all comes full circle. I had wanted to write something and didn't know that nursing was going to be the, um, the experience that I needed and leadership experience in order to have something to say. So uh, I pivoted about five years ago to a uh, executive healthcare position as a director of nursing for a large cancer institute. So I'm still in oncology. I still get to, to spend the day with wonderful leaders who work with me to make sure that we're taking care of our patients in the outpatient world. Yeah, it's amazing how you you fall into one specialty, whether it's intended or not intended, and then it's like your whole career blossoms out of it. It's <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I, so, have to, I have to yeah. make quick joke, I remember telling one of my nursing instructors, and remember, I was older, I was not, you know, uh, 18. And I said, there were two things I was definitely not doing, I was not going to be an oncology nurse, and I was not going to be a nursing leader. So that just goes to show you, <laughs> you don't necessarily know what you want. <laughs> right. And you don't challenge the universe. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so, um, you know, it's interesting the way that one person, when they tap you on the shoulder and, and kind of tell you to move in a certain direction, that it, it plants the seed and it, it kind of gets you moving in that direction. Because you know I've certainly had that with people who said to me, oh, you should 
do a master's or you should do a doctorate. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, maybe the idea would have come to me on my own, but it's like having that um, mentor or even, um, you know, suggestion that you are worthy of going on is, is very powerful. Well, and, and I think that, so I became an ac accidental entrepreneur um, close to three and a half years ago. And so really what, what led me down that path was uh, trying to grow and develop women leaders myself. And to your point, you know, we, we often don't see in ourselves the things others see in us. And there definitely is a, a confidence gap there, an imposter syndrome gap. And um, I really wanted to understand a little bit more about that so I could help and coach the leaders that, you know, reported to me. And I really found myself in a space of recognizing there was not a lot uh, written from a female perspective point of view from leadership. And, um, you know, I felt like that was a voice that I had. And, and so I started a blog. This is how this whole thing started. And um, it, it was a women's leadership blog. And for those new entrepreneurs who may be listening, you know, when you're first starting out, you don't even think about your website name <laughs> and SEO because I didn't even know what that meant. Um, and I came up with this crazy name, um, Leadership Elevate Her, which I was thinking, you know, go up the elevator of leadership, you know, and then elevate her. And I was like, oh, isn't that clever but um <laughs> no one googles that <laughs> and it definitely doesn't hit the seo so it evolved leadership evolved into her one tribe uh, a couple years later <laughs> that is funny you don't realize you don't think of those things early on <laughs> no definitely not um so what is it that you found that women leaders needed or they didn't have so it's kind of like onion onion layers, and and you know at first you think that it is just that you know they need to be um, engaged and inspired as to what leadership truly is, and leadership is really just managing people. It's it's really connecting um, on a very uh, intimate level with somebody's motivational level and understanding what they want and how you can best grow and develop them, and you know pulling together and creating a, a high high functioning team that works well together. And I think you know as nurses, oftentimes you know we're tapped. As a charge nurse because we're clinically you know very strong and we have no problem um, making decisions under pressure but i have found that you know that transition into a nursing leader sometimes can be a challenge for a phenomenal charge nurse because you know it is all the parts and pieces of uh you know people bringing their heart to work and their stress to work and um, being able to kind of uh, weed through that and help somebody to see the best part of them and, and bring that out so for me, you know, um, understanding why there were so many women who did not seem to want to go into leadership um, wasn't so much that they didn't, you know, they weren't interested. It was that they just didn't see themselves as having that skill set or feeling comfortable um, having conflictual conversations, you know, and, and so that's really where I began kind of peeling back the layers of what is this. And um, really what I found out universally, I was, you know, I was kind of shocked. I was in my late forties and I had adult daughters and, you know, we are still kind of in the same mindset women are, you know, that we were 20, 30, 40 years ago as, as our place in society and what we can and can't do. Um, and some of that is just, you know, recognizing or having somebody say, no, 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 you, you don't need hundred percent of the qualifications. You can go ahead and leap forward and, and try this new thing. Yeah, I actually just had this conversation with my sister because she's a she's a teacher and she's applying for a position and she's so nervous about the interview and I was just like, you know, it, it 
not always about things that you've done in the past. It's about what you're willing to do going into the future and, you know, just having the confidence to say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give this a try. Um, I know I'm going to need some mentoring here, some, uh, you know, some work here or some work there. But um, like you said, a lot of the, the leadership points of it come from being able to relate, network and, and interact with other people. Well, a lot of it stems from um, one of the things that I talk about, and, and I do keynotes and I do workshops and one-on-one um, -on -one coaching, but um, is really what I call the good girl paradox. And that is, you know, growing up societally in, in the United States in the last um, 50 years, whether it was 1993 you know, or 2003 or 63, um, is, is the indoctrination of the moment that it's a girl, society, parents, you know, people that love you begin imagining a life for you um, that is very much um, has been a, a culturally in our society for many, many, many years. And that's often the caretaker and uh, the provider of, of love in the family, but also the rule follower, you know, um, someone who is, uh, you know, told to be a, a good girl, a nice girl, get good grades, you know, uh, manners and, and being polite and not rocking the boat are all part of that package. Um, and so the four most common uh, distorted thinking patterns that, that women have in high achieving women um, def definitely fall into play with Im imposter syndrome and perfectionism, overvaluing experience, which your sister probably was doing uh, when applying for that, that job. And then, you know, we've got the, the anchor around our neck, which is people please disease. And so you <laughs> take all of those um, and wrap them up in a pretty bow and we get our validation externally from, um, you know, hierarchy people or, or, or authority figures. And um, we don't believe in ourselves until somebody tells us we can do it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you're hitting so many chords with me because like even just this uh, this past summer, um, you know, I made the the choice to move to Mexico with, with my young son. Um, and I was so afraid to tell like my parents and I was telling a friend of mine and I was like, I am like a, 40 something year old woman trapped or <laughs> like a 12 year old body or a 41 year old woman body in a 12 year old mindset that I'm still, a, you know, cause I want to please everybody and I want to do what I'm supposed to do. And I want to, you know, and all of these issues kind of came up and it's funny how it seems like no matter like what state you're in, what age you are, they, that indoctrination as you're saying still um, pervades and it's, it's still very powerful. Yeah, it, it really, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing now <clears throat> has to do with um, superwoman syndrome. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I'm sure you probably feel it. Um, but basically, it, it, it's evolved over the last 30 years because, you know, women moving into professional roles and um, the duality of, of, you know, we've seen with this pandemic still not being able to let go the, the primary caregiver um, of the household and, you know, the proverbial second or third shift. And, um, you know, really understanding how much those thinking patterns are so wired in our DNA, we don't even recognize them. And so when I start asking questions, and, you know, within my workshops or we're doing a quiz about, you know, people please, and you, the jaws are dropping. They're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize I believe this or I think this. And that's kind of where you begin to unlock that whole, you know, they just want more confidence. Well, you can't get more confidence if all of your validation is tied up with other people giving it to you. So it's peeling back that layer. And it just, you know, all aligns nice, nicely and neatly as, as women are discovering who they want to be when they grow up, you know, and professionally as well as um, personally. 
Yeah, so that seems like a lot to take on. <laughs> I mean, how do you even start with these women? Like, how do you start um, helping them to um, peel back the layers or put the layers back together the way they want them to? It's so funny because I didn't even realize I had a really wonderful mentor um, as I was developing my speaking career. And she's like, you know, you've got a framework, Angela. I hear the framework. You need to make a visual. And so she encouraged me to, to create that. And, you know, as a nurse, what do I what do we go back to? I went back to the like the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Right. Because <laughs> that's like the first thing we learn um, in, in our psych rotation. And so really, basically, you know, if you can imagine a triangle, the bottom of it is that first um, that self introspection and, and doing some digging into to values and beliefs. Um, and most people don't realize how strong their beliefs are. And, you know, beliefs don't need to be true for us to believe them. They're, they're not facts. They're just what we assume in, in our world to be true. And so doing some of that work first, um, and then the, ne the next level up is, you know, thinking differently and offering um, different ways of thinking and showing how distorted thinking patterns, what they look like. And then last but not least is acting differently. So teaching, I'm very tactical. I give like you know, a seven day plan or, you know, day one, you do this day two, you do that. So, so behaving your way, um, oftentimes before believing your way into different patterns of behavior. And then really shoring up that triangle on the bottom is an empowering environment, you know, taking a reflection, reflective look to see who are you spending most of your time with and um, what kind of energy and, and um, support are you getting from those people. And then, of course, um, exposing yourself to new ideas. So listening to this podcast would be, you know, a, a shoring up that triangle on the left and then um, creating a new identity for yourself. You know, many women, especially those that are have been in a career for 10 or 15 years, think, oh, well, I'm never going to do that or, oh, well, I'm never going to do that. Um, but I'm here at proof. I'm 53 years old um, and I've had so many different opportunities that have opened up paths for me that sort of really all pulled on the same skill set and strengths. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, I sort of discovered it was okay to take on or try something new that I went, oh, I can do this. I can write a book, you know, after age 50. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, so how do you work with these women? Do you work with them one-on-one -on -one or do you work in workshops? Yeah, I, so I started out um, creating, I always loved at work, it's just funny how it all inter, interconnects. If, if the best day at work that I had as a leader was um, getting all of my teammates or leaders in a room and teaching for eight hours. So how funny is that, that, you know, that's sort of what I evolved into doing. So, <laughs> so, um, I do workshops, of, you know, of course, pre-pandemic, they were in-person workshops. Um, but I am pivoting next year, 2021, to do doing virtual uh, workshops because of the, and I actually have found this year, I did eight keynotes um, this fall uh, virtually, and I love people, and I love to interact with people, and so that was a, a big pivot to do it virtually, but you, I think it opens up an opportunity for people who live in different parts of the world to get education and information that they weren't able to have. Um, and so I, I think it's a kind of a great thing um, to, to be able to do it virtually. So I do virtual workshops, I do keynote speeches, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. Um, and, you know, I, I every week send out information via email, you know, to the people that I call in my tribe. So that keeps uh, the, the um, experience fresh. And, you know, I really love, I'm still working my day job. I, I love the fact that I get real world experience in um, leadership and, and um, people management. And 
the psyches of the women leaders that I work with. It helps me to see what's needed in the, you know, the side hustle work. Um, and it balances each other. It fills my bucket to do the side hustle work and, you know, be able to take what I learn back to the people that work with me in the professional world. Yeah, that, that's great. Now, I also noticed on your website, you have a whole section on um, negotiation. And there's one sentence here that I'm going to read that just like strikes accord with me. And it's if you work really hard and keep your head down, someone will notice you. And that is something that I spent 20 years <laughs> in, you know, working as hard as I possibly could, and just get kept getting passed over and passed over. I would see the residents that I grew up with, they would graduate and get the stroke directorship. And, you know, I would be like, I've been here for 20 years. I know everything about the stroke system, you know, and it, it just made me absolutely crazy. And that was one of the impetuses that drove me out of the hospital system because it was so frustrating. Could you talk a little bit about, um, you know, that idea that if you work really hard, somebody will finally notice you. And then also, I want to talk uh, a little bit about what you do with negotiation. Sure, sure. So yes, and that goes back to part of that good girl paradox that I talked to. So, so if you think about the good little girl in school, the studious straight A sits in the front of the class, turns in her paperwork all on time. There, there begins to be a, um, a a belief system that's created that if I follow the rules and do everything right, people will see that I'm the best person for the job. And following up that belief, it's not polite, quote unquote, to uh, blow your own horn or to to advocate for um, a position because that would be, you know, looking like, oh, too bossy or too, um, you know, the B word or whatever. And so, you know, um, so, so we, we, and I include myself because I'm a recovering good girl and I'm a recovering people pleaser. Um, we believed, uh, you know, the straight A way was the way that you get it, but that's not the way it works. You know, the world does not, it rewards um, people who step out of their comfort zone and say, pick me. And um, men have no problem doing that. It's just, it's, it's a skill set that women have got to develop. And like I said, it starts at a very early age. So oftentimes when I help women with negotiating and myself, you know, the first, <laughs> the first position that I took, they went, here's what you get. And I went, okay. You know, I, you know I've had that experience too. <laughs> yeah, um, because we were like, well, they must know what I'm worth. And, um, you know, that's perfectly fine. And my husband nearly like, had a stroke when I told him that because he's like that's not what you do um and I'm like well I don't want to make them mad at me um and you know I even had somebody uh that I coached bless um you know she was told well you're getting the opportunity for leadership that should be enough of <laughs> of a raise you know like can you imagine a man in a in a in a in an interview and having another man said well you're getting an opportunity so you don't need a raise um so you know I think um, when it comes to negotiation, you know, we miss, like you said, we miss out. Number one, we think we have to have 100% of the, the qualifications, which we do not. Uh, there's a great Harvard Business Review study that show that when applying for a role, um, men start applying at around 45, 50, 60% of the qualifications. Women like have 110% and still they're like, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm qualified for this. Um, so, you know, that mindset goes into the same kind of a thing when you're negotiating. If you're not, if you're uncertain that you're qualified or that you're worthy, then who are you to, um, you know, negotiate? So what I teach is, you know, there's several parts of that. Number one, you need to do your research 
um, and you need to understand what is a, a market rate for that type of role. And there's lots of ways to do that. And oftentimes it's having conversations with peers or, or, or mentors that have inside information that can help you with that. And women never want to ask, right? Um, and so that's part of the role. And the other part of the role is, um, is, you know, being prepared for that piece. I think people, when they go into an interview situation are so like just driven to get the job that when that part of it happens, they're sort of like, oh, wait, shoot. Um, okay. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and, um, it's okay to say, let me think about that. Let me come back with, um, what I consider to be a fair offer and go with your high offer. Don't go with your low offer. They're going to come back and come down. So, you know, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Um, and being on the other side of that, you know, when I have, I've seen women that accept roles that, you know, of course we have HR that, you know, helps intercede that part. But I've seen women that are just like, sure, yep. You know, the first salary that HR proposes, they say yes. Um, and then it's often the ones that come back and, and uh, negotiate that I have found to be, um, you know, really a little bit more successful in their job because they're, they're willing to put their neck out there. Yeah, I, that, that's really important. And it, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that you said applies to, because we help um, nurses put together their nursing expertise into to businesses and, and like courses and programs and that kind of stuff. And I've had a couple of nurses that were so 110% expertise, like they blew it out of the 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 corridors or whatever they you know they were amazing I was intimidated to work with them because they were so like advanced and so ex such experts and yet when it came to like putting a program or a course together which was an area they weren't as confident in it's like they fell apart um, and we had to build them back up and and it was just uh, it's one of those things like you said where where men will do something if they have forty percent of the skill set and and women wait until they have one hundred and ten percent and it, it's something that definitely needs to be broken down across society. <laughs> you know it's it's not a nursing thing. it's 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 what you're talking about with the good girl paradox. and i I love that term. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that's really, really important to address and to look at. Um, so you also have, so tell me about your book. Um, what, what was the, what's in the book and um, what was the reason for writing it? So the book is um, my indoctrination into leadership into as a, as a nursing manager um, and all of the mistakes and screw-ups and uh, false assumptions and beliefs I had going into that role. I was looking for, when I took that role, I was looking for a down and dirty handbook of like, how do you handle people? And when I was looking at the leadership um, book section, and you know, I just noticed this week, top 10 business books are all written by men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were no really other than Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. There was not a lot um, written in, in the way women lead. I led, I think women lead oftentimes very differently. And so I pulled my nursing um, skill and ability of research into biologically, sociologically, how do we differ and how do we differ as leaders? And I think we're seeing that right now, even in the management of the global pandemic and looking at countries that have women leaders, you know, they definitely have seem to, to be doing a great job. And so I wanted to embrace what I considered the differences and what I brought to the table and back it up with some evidence of, um, you know, sociologically or biologically, why are, why is that a strength for us? And we should embrace it because I was taught 
you know, early on, or I thought I was taught, I had to be like a guy. I had to be exactly like a man to be successful. And what made me a successful leader, I believe, was not uh, those male, you know, if you want to put it in male or female tendencies. So the book really walks you through my first year um, and tells stories of my amazing team that um, I had the pleasure to work with. And it was just, it was a labor of love to write it. It just poured out of me. And I've had a lot of women, especially women in healthcare that are leaders say that, you know, they're so grateful because I like, I, I break it down and say, okay, so here's things, newbie mistakes to avoid, tactical tips to try, you know, really walk them through how to begin to lead a team. And even if you don't have a formal team, there's a lot in there about um, people management and, and getting along with others, you know, that have differing personalities and, you know, differing points of view. And um, so it's, it's a lot of that as well, too. So it was absolutely a labor of love. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point to pull out too, is that, you know, especially when you look at the top 10 books and then they're all men writing them and then you get, you know, a random woman in there trying to tell you how to lead like a man and it just, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You might just put her all in, you know, <laughs> put all those books in the same category because women do lead um, differently. And uh, you know, I know that there's been some research out there just showing how, uh, the way nurse, um, not nurses specifically, but women in general, um, when we we tend to be more inclusive, community-based, and uh, just more effective, and because we're not afraid to negotiate as well, because there seems to be a pervading a male sense that it's an all or nothing, like you have to win everything or, you know, you didn't win, and women are more like, how can we all win together, and I think it's a much more, it's a much better way to to look at leading in a lot of ways. Um, so, all right, uh, you also seem to have this theme about um, boss lady, is that, is that your, <laughs> tell me well, about that. Yeah, it's funny, when I came up with the title of the book, um, it is a bit cheeky, it's meant to make you go, wait a minute, woman on top, lead like a lady boss, um, <laughs> I, and, and I can't tell you how many men have kind of looked at me like, wait, what's the title, um, but, and, and, you know, when I, I, it was so much fun to um, create the the cover of the book and um, the wonderful, talented um, graphic artist that created my book cover for me. I was, I was explaining to her that I wanted the cover to convey um, that feminine, bold, pulling the chair up to the table and pulling up my gosh darn pink chair because I like my pink. <laughs> And so she came up with this great visual of this big pink chair. And so really, you know, the, the theme of the book and the and lead like a lady boss is owning that femininity and it's owning, um, you know, that that feminine power that um, feeling comfortable with it. I am a girly girl. I like to dress up. Um, I like pink things. I like fuzzy things. And, you know, some women may not. And that's perfectly fine, too. But that's where that came from. That's a throne. <laughs> it's a throne. Yes, it is. It's wonderful. I just, it was so funny when the cover came, the first um, pass of the cover, um, I sent it to my, I have a two, I have a 28 year old daughter and a 25 year old daughter. This was several years ago, but um, I sent it to them and they both, they texted back, yes, nailed it. And I showed my husband, he's like, what's with the pink chair? <laughs> and I'm like, 
women will get it. <laughs> I, I know, I, I love pink. Um, it's one of my primary colors as well on my website, but <laughs> it's great. And I, this is like a big in your face pink as well. And I love it. Oh, I really love totally, it. totally. You know, it's funny. Um, I, we're we're uh, building a, a custom home right now and I get the opportunity. I'm so excited to have my office reflect my, my style. And um, the designer was telling me, do, do you know there is actually, there's color theory. I did not know this, but colors evoke certain um, feelings and um, emotional responses. And blush, the color of blush is actually one of trust and um, sort of believability and community and caring. And I'm like, that tends to be, you know, how I lean. So I found that fascinating. Yeah, the, yeah, definitely. We do that a lot with our, with our websites. We, we talk to the nurses and a lot of them, you know, do want kind of, kind of the more, um, I'm going to say colors that just kind of blend away. <laughs> you know, we're always kind of pushing for like bold, bright, like in your face type colors, but not everybody can handle those. So sure. Um, all right. Well, Angela, why don't you tell everybody where they can learn more about you, find out more about your workshops, get your book, all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Um, well, the easiest way to connect with me and um, get on my weekly tips and tricks is to text the word EMPOWER, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to 66866. Um, that'll get you right on my list, and you'll also get information about uh, masterclasses. I do some free masterclasses. In fact, I'm doing one in January um, on superwoman syndrome, and it's called Perpetually Depleted, um, Sneaky Ways That Women Self-Sabotage. So if you're interested in learning more about that. Um, and then also my website is heronetribe.com and you can follow me on Instagram at herontribe. I love it. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you.